House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. And, of course, I'm Al Warren and uh, co-host today. And almost every day we've got Mr. David yeah. North Martino. I'm here with my full... Uh, Three Hold days. Me. Three days. You see, we're doing the three whole days. week. Three of days. Treat, three days. <laughs> the whole week is treat Dave nice. <laughs> it's the treat. Yeah, but Dave next nice. week it's going to be terrible. Yeah, it'll have, be double. Be all built up. Yeah, it's going to be worse. It's going to be, <laughs> you know, of being nice all week. I'm going to have to be really, really nasty. Yes. So, you know. I look forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think the people know that you kind of enjoy that sort of thing. Yeah, I do. Yeah. They yeah. they think that. You know. you know, you're crying in the back and <laughs> going and drinking Tearing and being up. upset and going to the bar and, <laughs> and all that stuff. And it's telling my troubles to the bartender. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not true. I no. Don't know. No. Yeah. So now um, <laughs> we are going across the world today. We quite often do, but mm. um, it's a stop that we haven't made before. Uh, we're going to be uh, talking with an author out of uh, India. And uh, now the the book she's promoting is the Mangalore Detectives Club. Now this is the first of a detective series that uh, she's writing. And so, um, Harini Najendra, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This is such a pleasure. Well, hopefully it's, you feel that way at the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I hope it's so. always a pleasure to start. You know, but now. You heard of us because you listened to our show or something? Yes, I do. So I came across a couple of podcast, um, uh, episodes of the show, and I thought this was fabulous. Especially, I, I guess what I really liked is the questions you had about the writing process and about creativity and all of the. You know, it was fun. So that's why I reached out to you. Oh, good. See, so now we, so you kind of know what to expect. <laughs> <laughs> we never know. Sometimes people get surprised. We'll have to change it up. Yeah. <laughs> Now, so how did you get into this um, writing world, as we say, like, and especially with fiction, like what, what brought you to write this book? A fiction book is sort of like returning home after a long journey. So I, I mean, I'm a career academic. I'm an ecologist. I write research papers all the time. I've written nonfiction books. But when I was very young, I used to write fiction. So stories, short stories, little books for my dad when he traveled, you know, little things like that little short stories for newspapers, um, kids stuff mostly. And then I didn't. I moved into a PhD and then got into a different world of writing academic stuff. And then and then uh, nonfiction, that's, that's for the public. So that's a little more accessible than academic papers. But I did always want it. My first love was fiction writing. And uh, then I started doing a lot of work on Bangalore, which is the city I live in and which is the city I love more than anything else. And uh, because of the work I was doing on the, the history of the ecology of the city, I had all this data. I mean, archival material, old photographs, old stories. And I was going through this sort of ruthlessly tossing out anything that didn't belong to ecology. But I keep going down rabbit holes of fascinating things that had nothing to do with work, but were just very interesting about the city. And my main character, who is a 19-year-old um, woman in 1921 Bangalore, Kaveri just popped into my head in 2007 one day and sort of demanded that I write a book about her. 
her name was different her name was then bhagirathi and for some reason i don't i don't even know how this works as i started writing her name changed to kaveri which is what it is now but the is the essential character of the woman was very much similar very young very independent very feisty butting against the conventions of society and so i started thinking of what book i would write now that's 2007 we're now in 2022 so it's taken me a while to get here but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, this is how the journey started well so basically you were um sloughing off on your job not doing it <laughs> and going through different things that were interesting and then you started hearing voices in yes. 2007 <laughs> so uh did you blow up any buildings or drive off any roads or anything as well did the voice tell you to do other things um no i think that's it's funny to me a lot of fiction writers will say that they'll they so so do you find it a problem writing in the place of a young woman in 1921 because you know obviously that's not you you're not that old <laughs> so, <laughs> no. so how how does how does how do you find capturing that the essence of that type of that kind of a person so it's i love stories and i love getting old family stories so my mom told me a whole bunch of stories like my grandmom her grandmom uh, my aunts and their stories my husband's aunt who actually went swimming in a sari so there's this the book opens with the heroine kaveri going swimming in a sari and that's inspired by my husband's aunt who went swimming in a sari in the 1930s and so there are a lot of these women that i spoke to and talked to about those times and uh, yeah i'm just channeling them i guess my grandma my, my father's mother was born in 1907 so it it's not it, it spanned generations in that sense i'm not writing about a time too different from when she grew up and i do have stories of her her time when she grew up how she wanted to go to school and uh, had to go on hunger strike for her father to allow her to go to school so yeah i guess i'm putting a lot of those stories into this i don't i don't know if you can get you can't get rather those from archival documents i think you have to get them from people and thinking knowing about how people thought yeah oh that's true i mean i think so too um because there's something about like living in a time in a certain location like right now you know what it's like to live there in 2022 mm-hmm. and there's there's nuance there's things that happen in the way people act and talk and react to each other that you're not going to get out of a historical document. Yeah. You know. I I think that's important. Um so how so it took you a long time did it take you this whole time to get this book together or was it and is that because you were just busy with work and other things or um is the process that long for you to do? what was very difficult for me to do <laughs> it sounds funny but i'm writing a murder mystery right and I, that's the kind of fiction i love reading so cozy mysteries but i'm not really i can't read grim dark kind of stuff i don't write that way and so for me even to write in a murder as my editor recently reminded me with book 2 it was so hard to get a murder into book 1 <laughs> i was trying to do the whole murder mystery with you know, people getting knocked on the head people may be getting threatened but nobody died so i had to get into the, into the mental frame of of actually having a murder in the book and having it quite early in the book so so the plot went through a few changes life got in the way um i was very ambitious i so kaveri popped into my head in 2007 when i was 2 months pregnant and i thought that yeah i'll get this done i 
got a, especially when my daughter was born i said okay i'm going to have 3 months off all i'm going to be doing is looking after a baby she's going to sleep anyway i get this ah. <laughs> <laughs> did that work <laughs> No, it did not work. So, but what's interesting is when she's now fourteen, and when she was ten or eleven, that's when I really started rewriting. You know, I'd written about a, a third each way and changed the plot three times. And then my agent happens to be an old school friend, and uh, she'd come to Bangalore. She lives in New Jersey, and um, we said, "Let's meet." And then she said, "Look, I would like to see this book." And I said, "Look, it's only going to happen if you give me a deadline, because." Again, as an academic, I write to deadlines. So I said, "Give me a deadline." So she gave me a deadline, and I got version one to her. But my daughter, who was then by then ten, started reading the drafts and commenting on the drafts. So I think it's a good thing I waited in a way, because with book two, I had to get book two done in four months, and uh, she was one of my most important beta readers. So now she's in there. She knows. She says, "You know, you had this on page one, and you have this on page twenty-five, and doesn't make sense." Right. Yeah, that, that's important. Yeah, you you want to make sure. Um, so, did do you outline? I guess this is hard to like. Do you have, did you outline your characters ahead of time so you kind no. of know who they are and what they what their flaws are and stuff, or you just kind of went with it? So I I, I cannot outline my characters because I um, to me that doesn't work when I sit down and write. the characters need to tell me who they are they need to tell me what they like and so that happens through the process of writing and so i'd say thinking back at my book and now i've turned in the the draft of book 2 in the series it's very much character driven more than plot driven for me but the characters need to reveal themselves to me and it happens very organically you know they do something and they're doing something tells me about who they are and then they go off and do something else <laughs> so but on the flip side what that makes is I mean, I rewrote book one so many times in terms of the basic plot itself, not the characters, but the plot. You know, who the murderer was, why they were doing the murder, or the entire plot. And I didn't have the time to do that again for book two. So for book two, what I did was I really I wrote out the book in like ten pages, and again I sort of I pants the seat of the pants wrote down. I sat down, I had an opening scene, I had no idea what was going there, but I wrote it in ten pages as opposed to a three hundred page book. and then i did my revision of the plot there and then i wrote the the full book from there but I, even so what happened was what happened in book 1 2 that new characters appeared side characters and uh, they took on lives of their own and they inserted themselves into the plot so maybe that's going to happen in book 3 i don't know <laughs> well you know, you mentioned deadlines and uh, how do you think your uh, academic career and your non-fiction writing has affected your your fiction writing do you do you think it's uh, made it more efficient i think there's three things if i think it's done the first thing which is i think very useful now that i'm actually getting reviews and feedback is i have really thick skin because you know as academics mm-hmm. you i write what 10 papers a year and they go to peer review and sometimes for 3 years they get rejected from 7 8 journals i've had reviewers because it's anonymous review saying things like oh this this person is trying to squeeze paper from data like trying to squeeze blood from a stone you know and that's the kind of peer review you get any academic gets so you really become you know what you want to do and you know um so i'm very thankful for review because i i i like to improve my work so i take hmm. the, the the substance of it but i don't care about the tone in which it's given you know so that's that's why i think i found it useful <laughs> 
because to begin with i think my editor and she was very nice she started giving me this feedback and it was very gentle like you know you'll see track changes all across this manuscript in red and if you if the color frightens you you can change it to green or something like that and i said you know all of this is fine just tell me what you want me to do you don't have to start with the paragraph of this is great this i love this about the manuscript and then the but just start with the but <laughs> <laughs> and and i'm fine with it so that's what but the second and the third things is i think the second one is i write very well to deadlines and i i'm very comfortable like book 2 i just took 2 hours a day 5 days a week and so that helped me work through a, a full work day plus a full day at home plus you know getting the book done and i man i i shouldn't say this i've been thinking a lot about writers block and uh, <laughs> and i've been reading journalists who write fiction and they say they don't have writers block because they never could afford to and similarly lawyers who write fiction have been listening to a few podcasts and they say the same thing maybe it's the same with academics i don't it could be famous last words but i don't think i'm <laughs> going to have writers block because i can't afford to in my other job right you write all the time knock on wood right <laughs> knock on wood absolutely yes. <laughs> yeah when you but you, when you say you did two hours you know so you're two hours a day five days a week and all that uh, that that's kind of scheduled and or structured and that kind of goes with deadline yet you are not outlined so it's kind of that's kind of unusual but when you have that 2 hour set what if you're in a bad mood or what if something's going on that you can't get your mind off of do, do, do you find that you can just turn it on and write then or no no i i play a lot of sudoku i start with wordle I move to Sudoku. I read, uh, I don't know, advice columns, which I'm a junkie for. And then uh, I get up and make myself some tea, and then I come back. So it takes me off that two hours. I'd say the first forty-five minutes to kind of just just ease into the writing. But there are times. So I know that if I have done like two bad days of not getting writing, the third day will get me in the mood. And so I just show up and I'm there for the two hours, and eventually inspiration will strike. And that day. hopefully if inspiration strikes i can move by deadlines around and cancel a meeting or two and move it to 3 hours or 4 hours yeah you could always put a little bit of li- liquor in your tea yes yes but <laughs> <laughs> like fortunately no these days well, as i'm growing older i find alcohol gives me migraines which is sad but uh, mm. that is what it is so yes it has to yeah. be plain tea <laughs> oh yeah well you know just trying to help here um <laughs> Did you so when you when you write a book like a crime book and stuff like that how is who do you look for in an audience are you looking for a particular type of audience or a particular type of reader in mind to me it's it's like maybe the kind of reader i was someone who loves agatha christie that kind of reader or golden age mysteries which to me are my favorites you know neomarsh agatha christie yeah that whole period anyone who wrote in that period yeah yeah and it's pretty because the characters you're right the characters are important and it's revealing and and it's character driven mm-hmm. so it, mm-hmm. it makes it a more interesting so i noticed you've got um um a jealous mother-in-law so is this is this from personal experience <laughs> no no i had the book. i actually had the sweetest mother-in-law who's no longer here to to read the book but she would have loved it but what i did want to show is the so women of that time right and they were struggling to especially independent women of that time someone who wanted to be educated wanted to make a life of her own 
you really couldn't succeed unless you had some support and so that's why she has Kapil has a very supportive husband because in reality that unfortunately is still the case right it's very hard for a woman to who's married to make to move ahead unless she has a supportive spouse not unfortunately men can move ahead with or without a supportive spouse right so i had to to make sure that she had that for realism but it didn't he, i mean on the other hand if she didn't have any struggles life wouldn't be interesting so i gave her the jealous mother in law <laughs> where where do you get your characters from like where do you get that kind of person or in any of the other characters in there that are kind of supporting characters do you uh are they people you've run across or do you take personalities from i don't know students any names you want to give us <laughs> no i think bits and pieces you know so for instance there's a policeman there who um, who was not part of the book at all he turned up so actually so there was an incident where i was writing and they are uh, there was actually a younger policeman who was a constable who was writing down all the wrong things and kaveri was supposed to be getting annoyed with him and her husband was getting annoyed with him actually and he was just boring i i still remember writing that and he was stolid and boring and writing down with his pencil and i realized i'm kind of feeling stolid and boring as i'm writing this so the the senior policeman in smell came and took over and i thought he would go away but he didn't go away so he's just there and now he's a character who's i i think he's going to stay through separate through a series of books so yeah i don't think i make up characters uh, very consciously i think they just somehow come on come on board i'm figuring out how <laughs> <laughs> and so that's it's it's an interesting process do you do you think that you've changed the way you write now that you've completed book 1 and going into book 2 is there a, a difference in how you're doing it now i i mean i had to do this in 4 months so yes i'd say i don't know how i did so i was supposed to turn in the completed draft of book 2 by the end of december last year and my mom my mom is 85 lives with us and was very ill and in november october november was in the hospital in the icu and uh, yes famous last words speaking of of always being able to write and not having writer's block the time she was very ill she was very uncomfortable and i couldn't write just watching her in that discomfort switched my writing brain off so i, I couldn't think and i couldn't write but fortunately by december she was feeling much better and things had improved by january so i actually wrote this i i wrote the outline in january and in an, a month in 7 weeks february at all through mid march i had the first version very rough version of the first, of the second draft a second book done and then i spent another 5 weeks revising it and then by i, I sent it off to them in in april and so mm. that worked i have no idea how that worked i think it was just sheer fright i had this deadline looming and i had to get it done yeah it might be the just the structure of the deadline just of of it that does it for you right it's like um yeah i think i think it's a good thing it's not it's not a bad thing no it's uh, a good thing maybe it's also the fact that i also wasn't squeamish about having a murder woven in yeah. i think i got past, past <laughs> that so i think that to me was a big mental roadblock with draft one and uh, i mean i don't know so i'd like to write contemporary mysteries uh, murder mysteries again and i find i'm stuck there much more because it seems somehow you know the, let's take um, the whole murder mystery as a format it's light heart and it's supposed to be giving you entertainment and at this at the same time it's 
it's off the idea of a murder and it's off the idea of a death and the death is something that destroys lives and destroys families so i guess the way i've made my peace with it is this is historical and therefore i'm writing about times that were so far in the back that you know pain and everything has sort of grayed away and all you're trying to do is extract the life in the times of the that period but i really don't know what i do today yeah do you, but you get so when you were trying to overcome the murder part of it was it just the scene or the actual murder and descriptions of it or was it the fact that there was a murder the fact that there was a murder i have no problem describing the scene it's the fact of i guess it's a moral compunction and i right. said yeah well that's 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 so how did you how did you overcome it then like what was the actual thing that got you over that 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 hump of the moral thing like how 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 would you do that i don't know i mean i think over part of it to be honest i don't think about it that much i push it aside part of the thing i think i have thought uh, if i look back at the agatha christies that i really liked for instance or the you know the other writer i love is uh, the patricia wentworth the miss silver series it's always right. the bad people who get it right yeah so in a way you know justice is done at the end even if it's not a really bad person they going away made made things better somehow because of other resolutions so in the end if justice is done and shown to be done i guess that's that's the way i'm making peace with this yeah i think you know people put you know yeah you did you, did you um so the murderer in the book without giving it away where mm-hmm. do you get that character from like how do you draw that person or do you just sort of not really get detailed about them <laughs> so i did not get detailed about them in the in the right. first uh, book exactly because that i found very hard to confront the fact that there was a murderer and why would someone do something like that is something that i i found very uncomfortable so i mean for instance i I was laughing about this because I was thinking of many writers who write true crime and recreate true crime. That is something I would definitely <laughs> not do. Okay, that's just something I would find very difficult to do. But um, where did I get the character from? So I changed the murderer. So I had the draft, I had the character without giving it away, and the and the murderer I had in mind didn't quite fit because they didn't have a good motive for the murder. It seemed like a very contrived motive. so i changed the entire structure so i had the events but the murderer was different and therefore the motive for the murder was different and so i have to move things from the back of the book to the front of the book and from the front to the back and rearrange these chunks and so yeah that that that's what i did for book 1 for book 2 i worked it out very differently so i had the murderer very much in mind from the beginning and i had a motive in mind for them and then i worked out that 10 pages from that Yeah, it's it's an interesting process. Yeah, I couldn't imagine writing to crime. That's going to be awful. Awful person that does that. <laughs> I'd be to be a terrible person that would do that. Oh, you. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um now do you, do you, it, so this is a it, now you so you're in India and you're writing in India. How is the crime fiction world in India? Like how how is it received over in India? it's been received i don't know i mean it's releasing tomorrow in india so i'll have to see how it's actually received but so many people seem to be excited about it and there is a resurgence now of writers writing in that time period right so there's sujata masse's lovely uh, parveen mistry book set in bombay which is about a young woman lawyer around the same period 
there's Abhin Mukherjee who writes about uh, Kolkata during that period, Calcutta. And uh, there's a British detective who comes to India and he has an Indian inspector who's working with him. And then there's Wasim Khan who's writing about independent India. So it's 1950s, just after the British are out. And uh, he's got the first woman inspector in Bombay solving mysteries. So there's a series of, of things in colonial, just post-colonial times, very interesting stuff. So I think there's all that coming together. But there's also been other stuff. I used to love HRF Keating, the Inspector Ghote series. I don't know if you've ever seen that. And those are so realistic. And the fact that he'd never been to India before he wrote those books is just <laughs> to be incredible. How you can get place and setting and atmosphere so right without visiting a country. Yeah, that's a that's a difficult process. Um yeah. Because, you know, you're not there and you don't know. There's so many subtle things. That's, mm. So that's a good thing to pull off. Um, so is, do, you, do you write your setting? Is, is Bangalore itself written as a character? Very much so. Very much so. Because I think so much of my research is based in the ecology and the ecological history of Bangalore. So I feel like I know the city so intimately, like the lanes with the cow herds, the way they shape cow dung patties on the rocks, walking past the lakes and hearing, you know, watching a kite chasing a squirrel or uh, yeah, standing under a tamarind tree and being scared because a pishashi who are these female ghost type creatures would come and suck your soul. That's, that is one of the myths here that you stand under a tamarind tree and pishashis hang around the tamarind tree waiting to suck the spirits out of young, good looking men especially. So, you know, all of these are women. I don't have to worry about that there. (laughs) I better watch out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Very much so, very much so. The the city is absolutely a very strong character in my setting, I mean, in my books. Now, now on the first first book, obviously, it, it, it took a long time and there was all sorts of things going on. But in, in the part two that you've done, did you have an image, like a finished picture in your mind of what the story was going to, how it was going to end, what, the, what you were going to get from that story? Or again, did you write it the same way, even though it was such a short time? So I wrote the 10 pages in the same way. I started with the opening scene. And I had no idea what I would get at the end of that 10 pager. So my first three chapter, three, four pages, I'd say, was really the first chapter. Sketching that out, what would happen, you know, where she was, what she was looking at, how that happened. And then as it got to the second half of the book, I'd say the second half of the book was just in like maybe the last three pages. But I did have the basic arc of the plot from start to finish. And I knew who the bad guy was or the bad woman was. I'm not going <laughs> to say which one. But uh, yeah, uh, and uh, I knew why broadly. And then there were details within that that changed. But that's what, so I'd say that, that, that first outlining that I did in January, which is a fairly detailed outline, was something that I had no idea what I would end up with. I started and I just didn't know what I would get. And uh, then the book itself, I broadly stuck to that. Well, I'm wondering, has, uh, you know, you, you said your characters do kind of take over. Have they, have they ever gone so far uh, within these, these two books you've written to um, actually, like, rebel against the plot and go against kind of which, where you wanted the story to go? Uh, no, I'd say not. But what I would do is, for me, it's really character-driven. If they were going in a different direction, I'd bend the plot. 
because if they were doing mm. something that was inconsistent to the plot to me that means the plot is all wrong not that the characters mm. are uh, rebelling it just means that i haven't understood them well enough to take the plot along with them that makes sense so you kill them <laughs> <laughs> um what, what what kind of research are you doing um to to make sure that the timing and that, that you know because back in that time people said things differently they had different mm-hmm. behaviors you know different life it was completely different right. um how much of the research did you have to do to get in there and what kind do you do so all kinds of things um let's see but obviously the oral histories like i was telling you talking to people in my own family but there are also some very nice biographies that people have produced uh, of people in their own families like their grandfather or their grandmother and uh, so i've been trying to source some of those because they have letters and photographs and stories of how they they lived their times newspapers are really good because i found these little things you know there's so for instance there was a, a horse pony and dog show and what happened in that horse pony and dog show at, in this particular year or there was a, a a train that was derailed because of some worker agitation or there was a strike so all these little details that come in so you can make the story rich but at the same time you know what you're getting you know, that that's that's what makes it come alive and then there was these debates which some of them were fascinating so it gives you a sense of mores of the time so there was this entire debate on whether women should be allowed to vote in the legislative assembly and uh, one man says you know the I have sisters and I have brothers but my sisters are as intelligent as my brothers. And you're looking at this and saying okay so but for his times he was making a revolutionary statement he's saying if my sisters are as intelligent as my brothers why is it that my brother can come to the legislative assembly but you won't allow my sisters to. And then there's another man who responds saying all the suffragette movement etc will work in the UK because in in London you have women who are highly educated and women who own property and in india you don't have either of the two are women are queens goddesses of their households so they should stay at home and be goddesses of their households they shouldn't come into the legislature and it's going to be 100 years before women actually get voted into any positions and this is 1921 and you know we're in obviously it didn't take 2021 for women to start getting the vote right but this gives you a sense of the mores of the time and how people debated and what they thought so I, i can get some of those in and then put them into the story yeah that it's a, it's a really interesting time um do you but with today's state because you're writing in in 2022 here and mm-hmm. when you write to an audience of today's mind there's a lot of political correctness there's a lot of people that are worried right. about how things are said or why or what's offensive what's not which is fine it's progress but um does that concern you when you're putting languages and behaviors of 100 years ago in there because you know of course it most of it would not be very um you know very a, a very positive thing in 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 the millennials eyes so do you have to kind of work that in a certain way do you find or do you even worry about it i do so i had to actually i i did not worry about it and then uh, for instance my editor pointed this out so one of the characters who had a much more sympathetic uh, tone in my first version of the book that i that my editor took was a character who was drunk and used to beat his wife and uh, what they said was so 
if you look back at times of those times there were men who got drunk almost i mean every man or many men let's say could would get drunk and beat their wives but they would also provide for their wives and care for their children while getting drunk and beating them you know so that complexity or that richness is something that is very hard to bring out i think in today's books because it would be okay here's this man who's beating his wife he's obviously obnoxious he cannot be a sympathetic character so i had to actually change that uh portrayal of his to fit how people would be reading him also in a very different context because i'm writing in india but i'm being read by people in the uk people in the us people who and what the editors were also pointing out which is true is that this themselves this itself has changed because even 20 years ago people were writing characters like this in books but you can't today and that is progress i agree with you it's it's nice because you understand that you know however complex the character is it guy shouldn't be allowed to get away with beating his wife brutally every evening and saying i'm a good guy because i otherwise provide for her right so so i had to think about that and change the treatment i did of that particular character and i have to say that in book 2 i kept those considerations in mind when i was talking about other kinds of complex characters and so which does mean i've had to simplify some things or not i don't want to say simplify i'll say essentialize some characters right so talk about one part of them and make that good or bad which i would not necessarily have done in another way but yeah i i do see the point yeah yeah it's just one of those things you have to be aware of i think now because mm-hmm. people have that on their minds um right. so that that they're thinking in in the terms in a way you could almost say they're looking for uh, mm. that kind of an issue right so right. you know it's like do do you have a particular thing you want a reader to get out of this book besides the the entertainment part of the story like the murder and the, mm-hmm. and the 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 fun stuff in the book is there like an underlying theme or subtext to this i would say strong women strong feminism i mean the fact that a determined strong woman could do so much even in times when the odds were stacked against her but on the other hand i also want them to i mean it's it's not that simple because there were a lot of determined strong women who who didn't have the agency right so i guess i want them to take away that women have substantive and very surprising strength in the most adverse of times but on the other hand the system was stacked away against them and there was so much they had to do to to get ahead but it's it's in the foots it's because they carved those paths that many of us are able to follow today Yeah, it's interesting. Did did you have any problem trying to get the uh correct slang and and sort of talk of the time, you know, like uh, rather than make it sound like they're in 2020, it to to make it sound more like 1920, like the different, you know, how people have different mm-hmm. slang or they have short mm-hmm. sayings or things that they say rather than speaking full sentences. It was that was that an issue to try and get that? really you know because india i mean some parts of india really changed dramatically i'd say only from the 19 uh, 1990s or thereabouts so the india that i grew up in and went to school and college in i went to a convent school and the kind of slang we used and the words we used i see them in the newspapers of the 1920s it hadn't changed that much between the 1920s and the 1970s it's later that a lot of these changes came in and uh, again i'm just you know all i have to do is close my eyes and think of my grandmother or my aunt and the the little sayings or the little uh, you know the the way they spoke what they highlighted the little 
moral values they tried to inculcate or you know, just little things like that and a lot of that just comes back and i can feed that into the book there was so india large parts of india have had not changed substantially it's only in the past 20 or 30 years that this huge change in the kind of uh, slang people use or the kinds of ways they talk it's a lot more american now it used to be a lot more british mm-hmm. before So some things jump out at me. I mean, I would never, for instance, write. I was uh, listening to someone who had written a book set in the Agatha Christie times in the UK, but is American, and she was saying she had to give it to someone else to who pointed out that you wouldn't say sidewalk, but you'd say pavement. You wouldn't say line, but you'd say queue. But these are things I myself, when I first went to the US, had to change a lot of the words I was using. I was using the wrong <laughs> words. You know? I'd go ask someone in the grocery store for my film, but film here means raw film, but film for us means developed film after you take the photographs. You know, so these these things were sort of automatic, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, you mentioned earlier too that um, you had to pull some stuff from the back of the book and put it uh, into the front and and kind of uh, uh, you know make some changes and. Do you have any like a process or tools or anything to to track your changes and uh, to to keep track of everything so that uh, uh, the the story runs smoothly? I'm very low tech. I use Word and I have Excel. <laughs> so I have chapters written in Excel and sometimes occasionally I'll pull scenes out of that or I take a notebook and I sketch. Nothing fancy. Yeah, just Word and Excel. <laughs> that works. It works. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, is each book in the series going to stand on its own, or do you have to start from the beginning? They, you know, each book will stand on its own. So I would love for people to just jump in and dive straight into book two or book three, and then if they like that, then to go back to books one and two. Yeah, that's it's important that way. Yeah. 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 And, and so, the inspiration. What's your inspiration when you write? Do you do you listen to music? Do you um um. It, you know, watch movies, is there, is there a go for a walk? And is there something that kind of gets you writing? So I have uh, in my bedroom a really old couch. The springs are gone and they are, <laughs> it's been COVID times. We haven't been able to get anyone in to get a real upholstered. So it's, it's threadbare. It's, but I sit, so especially the times that I cannot, cannot write, I have to sit with my laptop in the worst, most, you know, unergonomic position cross-legged on that couch with my laptop scrunched over it and write and uh, with some music on and uh, and play sudoku <laughs> when that doesn't work <laughs> and when eventually it works and it does <laughs> that's funny so how do you how do you like this now the new world you know on the social media and stuff do you have a um a um a lot of accounts do you do like instagram or anything like how do, how how do people uh get it get in touch with you ah so i the one thing that is new is i had a i now have a personal website which is just my name www.harininagendra.com but i've always so it's been a while i've had um, uh, twitter and instagram and facebook and linkedin because i use them for my non fiction both my academic work and the non fiction books and uh, so it's it's really all over the page if you get to my twitter or instagram account you'll read about climate change you'll read about old bangalore you'll read about uh, civic issues you might get a nice photograph of a lovely tree or a lake or a flower and then you'll get a little bit about detective fiction so it is you know a bit eclectic and all over the place but i've done that for a while so yeah social media is something i'm 
I, I obviously I don't have a massive following, but I have a reasonable following, and it's something I like doing because I've got to know so many different people from different parts of the world. So that's been fun. But uh, the what I find very interesting is different people take. So clearly, I thought it would be the same thing. I put the same material on all four: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and I get completely different audiences who say completely different things. So the same post can get really picked up on Facebook, and nobody. you know looks at it twice on any other social media platform well you know you you mentioned Agatha Christie and i was just wondering um uh what about her work uh has influenced your writing i think it's very atmospheric and it's very character driven hmm. and so that part i love i mean really if you look back at some of those plots they really contrive you something that she's figuring out and how they did the murders in 5 minutes if someone miscalculated or the wrong person entered at the wrong time everything would have fallen apart so i think the plots mm-hmm. are very complex but maybe people like that at that time they wouldn't really hold up i think to modern scrutiny but the characters the characters still live with you so much mm-hmm. timeless and i love this idea of the noticing woman you know the the woman who sat at home and notice everything so Kaveri, my hero, and has a Uma auntie who's the gossipy elderly woman neighbor who's behind <laughs> her house, and she knows everything and she knows everyone. And that complementarity to me is very interesting because it's the husband who has his formal workplace, so he knows how the official machinery works. He can go to the police station, he can get the evidence, he knows who has what jobs. But Kaveri, because of Uma auntie and the other connections, can get into women's kitchens and homes and know who's talking to whom, who fights with whom. who has how many kids is someone having an affair you know all of the other things <laughs> all the good stuff yeah all the good stuff yes, <laughs> yes. The good stuff. <laughs> so where do you see yourself going with this are you going to do uh, how many books in the series or are you going to do other series like where do you, now that you've got this new crime fiction career what's going to happen <laughs> so the, the the little brown has taken three books which i'm very glad about so i have this one the, the second one that i've turned in and book 3 to write next year and i'd love for them to take more i mean who knows right so it all depends on how people like whether people like the book whether i'm doing a good job we'll have to see but i can definitely see myself writing a whole bunch of series because there's so much i want kaveri to kaveri to explore there's you know uh, so the survey of india which is my i i make maps in my parallel academic life and there's so much with the survey of india expeditions at this times of jewels and secret places to explore so i'd love to work some of those map making things into this you know what if someone went and got a secret jewel from somewhere and that somehow gets involved in a murder and there's jadu there's this whole work of so there were indian sorcerers and magicians and then there was western magic beginning to influence them with houdini etc so there's this whole confluence of jadu which is the indian magic and then the, the british magicians and the american magicians So I'd love to write about that. There's so much that I could put in into series. So I'd love to do a long series with this if someone would have it. And I'd love to set something in contemporary Bangalore too, because I feel like Bangalore today is such a city of contrast. You have the IT sector and these large skyscrapers, and then you have the slums and the poverty, and then you have the the rich exploration of culture, which is the new fusion culture, and then you have the old culture of the heart of the city. and so yeah i'd love to do a contemporary series at some point but then i also have this day job and a child and a parent to look after and a husband who occasionally likes to spend time with me so we'll see <laughs> well yeah yeah life life happens you got to keep up with life it happens. you know exactly. otherwise yeah. 
Yeah, yeah you know, it's kind of kind of strange, you know, in that way. <laughs> yes. Well, that's it's really interesting. You, you know, I hear quite a few um, authors I've talked to over time think or say that they see there's a difference between um, UK English mystery detectives and let's say American detectives mm-hmm. um, in in the writing, especially of old times if we're talking in the 1900s, mm-hmm. 1920s and stuff. D- do you find the same and which do you kind of swing toward? I do find the same and I like reading both kinds, but I would swing towards the British kind when I write. For sure. What, why, why do you think that is? Like what, what's, what is it that attracts you about the English sort of um, mystery detectives? I guess they're more less gritty. The the Dashiell Hammett type of uh, the, you know Raymond Chandler, those kinds of detectives. Uh, first of all, they would there were fewer amateur detectives I think in the American tradition, and they were much more. They, they saw the serious parts of life. They were out in the streets. There was always well, a beautiful mall and. Uh, and this guy with a fedora hat or you know, <laughs> chewing tobacco. And the British ones are more genteel, very grim too, because there's, there's a whole lot of dark stuff that goes on in those churches and in those genteel houses, right? So there's every kind of horrific activity that you can think of going on there. But there's a certain, I, I like the contrast, I guess, about the genteelness of the facade, you know, the the lovely furnishings and the lovely buildings and the, clothes and jewels so you can write a lot of this atmospheric stuff in there but then human nature is still the same yeah yeah the the, the crime and the vi- yeah. violence sex that's all yeah. sort of it's, yeah. it translates everywhere but it's just yeah. kind of a way of, of presenting it i guess right. you know it seems to be a, a, a different way i noticed that too you know how how do how do you think the indian audience will be more more british or more american for for their mystery I suspect more British because that is the kind of mysteries that we all grew up reading. A lot of Agatha Christie, a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of the old British writers, Dorothy Sayers, you know, that kind of writing. How, so how, how did you deal with COVID and, and, and all of that? Did it affect your writing? It did. So, so not the first lockdown, I'd say, but the second lockdown was, uh, I mean, one, once the Delta waves hit, first of all, I had so much death in India. I mean, so many people that, our own students, for instance, and it, it was pretty horrific because, yeah, it, you last thing you want to do is, is see the very young pass away. And um, it, so it was a hard time. And India had the longest school closure. So my daughter had close to two years of online school. I think the first year was fine, but the second year was very frustrating for all the children and therefore for their parents, right? Because so, yeah, I think between those those things being locked down. We were fortunate not to have had COVID in, in those waves, again, knock on wood. But uh, yeah, the, just the, the trauma of all of that, my mom in hospital, the university opening and closing, and the, all the, the students, I think it was very traumatic for all our students. So just watching all of that, I think, was a very hard time. Yeah, and that affected be, my yeah. writing. It, it really made, it was very difficult to, to think and focus. Or to, let's say, it's, uh, let's put it this way. To take the time to do something as self-indulgent as writing something fun just seemed wrong at that time. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, and plus, you know, the stress and the, and the anxiety has got to be, yeah. Yeah. you know, it, it makes it much harder to write, you know, 
be especially something like you said fun and stuff like that yeah. do you are you are you um when you when you do your books so you say fun and humor and stuff like that are you particular about the type of humor or how much humor you could put in or even the the right timing of that humor no i'm like trying to learn more i would actually like them to be more humorous so what i do is by accident and so i re- realized this when my editor said you know she marked a couple of scenes and she said this is really nice and can you make these parts more funny i have no idea how to do that it either happens or doesn't. <laughs> so yeah i'll just uh, call dave he knows oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's he's the, he's the humor good humor man yeah. So what do you think would be, you know, here's here's one. What, what do you think that um, Americans get wrong about um, India? What is it that you think we should know about India that we don't? Ooh, good one. I mean, I don't know. These days, I think everyone visits everywhere. So I, I can't think of anything specific that, that anyone would get wrong. I have to say when I first started visiting the U.S., it, I did meet... Some people, not a lot, but some people who still thought it was a land of you know, cows on the road, peacocks everywhere, snake charmers, and that kind of stuff. But that was still a very small fraction of, of people. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> you mean the cows aren't on the road? <laughs> <laughs> they are, actually. There's no. still quite a lot of cows on the road in Bangalore. Yeah. But maybe cool. not the snake charmers. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, snake charmers <laughs> have moved to the U.S., so <laughs> they have a new new location and a new job. Well, it's certainly been uh, a great conversation with you. And of course, we're going to have your uh, website up on ours, and we'll have your book and everything, so people can do one click and find you and and uh, find out more about you and stuff like that. So, uh, great conversation, and um, I hope we get to do it again. You know, I love that. I love that. I had so much fun. Now, of course, the book we're talking about is the Bangalore Detectives Club, and it's the first book in the series. We've got book two coming out soon, too. You know, she's already got it done. She's on it. She's really going to get this going. So, so everyone, you know, get out. This is a book you need to buy. It's going to give you a lot of good information, a lot of good fun. Well, maybe not a lot of fun, but it's going to be – it's a murder, right? But um, So our guest is the, the writer, uh, Harini, Harini uh, Najenda. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Harini. Thanks.